There's so much in these two verses that this morning I'm not going to adequately be able to accomplish within 30 minutes. But I do believe that reading God's word will be sufficient enough for each and every one of us who are here this morning. And my, my prayer is that, is that we will see um, Christ in a, a, a deeper and in a more personal way uh, than we've seen him before. And, you know, it's fascinating because, you know, as we read through the book of Mark, most of us in here have probably read through Mark before. You know, we've probably read through uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We've probably read through the Gospels. And uh, I'm sure as we've read through the Scriptures, God has spoken to each and every one of us in a special way. But I'm hoping this morning that as we read through it, that God will speak to us in a way that is relevant for where we are today. That we could, we could apply this text or these two verses to our life and that we can see how just as, as Christ overcame some stuff, oh yeah, he overcame some stuff, that you and I could also be overcomers because of Christ. Now, as we continue to move through the gospel of Mark, we're looking at Jesus as he begins his earthly ministry. And he was coming to be baptized. He was announcing his arrival in verse 7 and 8 when John the Baptist was, uh, was baptizing him. And Jesus, he submitted to being baptized by John the Baptist because we realize that Jesus didn't have any sin. So he really didn't need to be baptized except to fulfill all righteousness or to identify with you and me in our struggles and in our hardships. Jesus' baptism was public. It was for the whole world to see that that Christ the Savior, that he had come, that Jesus was, he was here to take away the sins of the world. And we all know that when Christ, when he, when he went down into the water, that he was basically saying that he is, he is dying. He's dying to the world, the flesh, to the devil. You know, it's symbolic for us when we become Christians that we also, when we're baptized, we're saying that we are dying to ourselves, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But also, when Christ rose from the grave, which is what he did, it's announcing his resurrection. But also, one day you and I will be resurrected. We'll all rise from the grave too. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? And so, here's Christ being baptized, his announcement is being made. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form or fashion of a dove. You remember that? Because we talked about it last week. And so, descended on him in the form of a dove. And remember the voice that we heard? I mean, God the Father said, this is my son. <laughs> this is my daughter. 
It's my only begotten son. In him, I am I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased in him. So we would think that at this point in time, that at his coronation, that the king has arrived, we would think that there would be great celebration. You know, great joy. You know, angels would be singing and angels would be shouting that the king, that he's here, that he's come. You know, we could also think that maybe during this time that he's going to establish his kingdom. You know, that he will destroy all the powers and all the darkness and all the forces of evil in the world. We we could think that. We could think that. But what's fascinating about this portion of scripture is this. is right when Christ has come and the world has seen Jesus has come. All the followers are beginning to look after Jesus. Matter of fact, John the Baptist says that I must decrease so that he will increase. But the Bible says something fascinating happens. That Jesus is immediately led into the wilderness. Matter of fact, let's read it in Mark chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. The Bible says, immediately the Spirit drove him. I mean, did you catch that? It says the the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was in the wilderness with wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Temptation in the wilderness. The timing of this temptation says immediately, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Matthew says it like this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke says it this way. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from Jordan and was led around by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. So don't misunderstand this because God is not the tempter or does he tempt people with evil nor does the Holy Spirit tempt people with evil. Matter of fact, James chapter 1 verse 13 says God tempts no man. God cannot be tempted. So what was happening? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit himself, that he was orchestrating this, that he was leading Christ, where? Into the wilderness. And guess what happened in the wilderness? He was tempted by the devil. He was led into the wilderness, but the the devil was the one who was tempting him in the wilderness. One could wonder if God was so pleased with Jesus. Why did the Holy Spirit instantly, without delay, why did he lead him into the wilderness to be tempted? One could wonder that. I mean, one could think the wilderness itself, it's a difficult place. No one wants to go into the wilderness. I mean, matter of fact, he says it was full of wild beasts. You know, it was desolate, barren. It was a lonely place. The wilderness But yet the Bible says that Christ himself, that he was led into the wilderness where he would be tempted by the devil. It's fascinating. Why this time? 
I mean, why would he all of a sudden be tempted or be led into the wilderness? You know, all the while our, Jesus was in his father's shop, everything was fine. Everything was okay as long as he was working as a carpenter using his tools. The devil didn't even bother him. The devil didn't even try to harm Jesus whatsoever. Satan didn't trouble Jesus until he began to embark, until he realized or until he began to establish or come into his ministry, until Satan realized that Jesus himself was the savior of the world. It's fascinating because the enemy, he loves to attack us at the height of our spiritual journey. You know, when we are at the highest point of our spiritual journey, when we think that we have arrived, all of a sudden, it seems like the devil starts to throw his hand grenades and his darts at us to try to bring us down or try to tempt us to falling away from God. I mean, think about it. Think about King David after his anointing. What happened? He was hunted down by Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. I mean, think about Israel. Israel was no sooner out of Egypt when Pharaoh began to run after him. I mean, think about Hezekiah. No sooner had he led a solemn Passover than Sennacherib came and tried to harm him. What about St. Paul? He was assaulted with a vile temptation after the abundance of spiritual revelations. It seems like when we are at the height of our spiritual journey, that the enemy himself will do any and everything to try to bring us down. So Jesus was at the height of his ministry. He is led out into the wilderness. Why is he led into the wilderness? So that he could identify with you and me in our times of temptation. He was tempted in the wilderness so that he could identify with you as well as me in times of temptation. Matter of fact, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like who? Like us, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's why he became human. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 says this, for we do not have who? A high priest who cannot sympathize. In other words, he knows the struggles and the hardships that we are going through. He can sympathize with us, how? In our weakness, but was in all points he was tempted, the Bible says, But yet the Bible says, in his temptation, Christ himself, he was without sin. He was tried. He was tempted. He was in the form of a man, just like you and me, in the wilderness, in his hardships, in his struggles. The enemy's trying to take him out, tempted to give up on God. But guess what? In all of his temptation, in all of his trials, in all of his struggles, the Bible says that Christ himself was without sin. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but can any of us in this room say that we are without sin? There's only one person who could say that, and that is Christ and Christ alone. You see, Jesus, he can identify with you. He was tempted 
in the way every human being is tempted from birth to death. He was tempted and he was tried. He was tempted like little children are tempted in order that he might become the righteousness of God or children might become the righteousness of God because of Christ Jesus. Adults are tempted. Christ was tempted just like each and every one of us. In all ways, Christ was tempted. He understands what we go through. He understands when life gets challenging and sometimes we just want to give up and quit in the midst of the struggle. He understands when the battle is heavy and we feel weary in the struggle. Christ understands when we are tempted and we want to run away because life itself has become too challenging. But thank God he doesn't leave us in that situation. Matter of fact, the Bible says this, that when we are tempted, when it seems like it's just too much for us to carry, when it seems like the burden is too hard, when it seems like we just can't make a, take another step forward, the Bible says this, that Christ himself, that God himself, that he will always, he will always, not sometimes, not when he feels like it, but the Bible says that God will always At your lowest point in life, the Bible says that God will always, when you feel like quitting and giving up, the Bible says that God will always, am I making sense this morning, that God will always provide a way of escape. Always. In our times of temptation. The Bible says that this was a trial for Christ. Matter of fact, in verse 13, he says this. He says that he is drawn out into the wilderness to identify with you and me. But God begins to explain and he begins to give more information of how he identifies with us. He says he was there in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days in the bush. 40 days in the wilderness. I don't know if any of you guys have seen the bush, but we've seen some some bushes in Africa. And to spend 40 days in the wilderness or in Africa is not a nice place to be. 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted, being tried by Satan. 40 days in the wilderness. I love how Matthew 4.2 says, says that Jesus fasted and was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. It says Jesus, he fasted. In other words, he must have been hungry. Huh? He, he, he must have been hungry. I mean, 40 days without food, in the scorching hot sun, in the bush with animals, the dust and the dirt. 40 days in the wilderness without food. It's fascinating because the, the number 40 is oftentimes used in the Bible as times of testing. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness being tested. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. What? Being tested by God. The spies spent 40 days spying out Canaan. The rains were upon the face of the earth during the times of Noah for 40 days and for 40 nights. Times of testing in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Our Lord is without food. He is hungry. And the devil is tempting him. I mean, can, can you imagine? 
Being out there, you're hungry, you're starving, and the devil comes and he says, if you are the Son of God, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, if your life as a Christian is going so well, if you have direct access to God the Father, then turn these rocks. I'd like to see it. Turn these rocks into bread. But I love the response of our Lord and Savior because he remembered the word of God. You know, there's something about a person who knows the word of God because when you know the word of God, you can speak the truth and the truth of God's word will set you free. Jesus remembered how the Lord fed the children of Israel. He remembered how they had just come out of Egypt and how they were hungry and they were complaining. And God said he led them out there in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He led them into the wilderness to teach them a lesson that God's word is powerful, that God is a man who keeps his word. He led them into the wilderness to let them know that men don't live by bread alone. Hello? But every word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. That's how we live. By every word. Jesus is setting the example that every word from the mouth of the living God. But Satan is persistent. You guys realize that? You know, just because there's one trial and one temptation, it doesn't mean that he's going to quit. It's not over until we go home to be with him in glory. So the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse or 4, verse 4 and 5. So the devil took him up on the holy city, and he set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, even though he knew he was the son of God, but he says, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. Go ahead, throw yourself down. If you're so bad, you're so tough, you know, you really are who you are, then throw yourself down. And then look what he does. He says, for it is written. <laughs> the devil is quoting scripture back to Jesus. Isn't that funny? Uh, he's, he's quoting scripture back to Jesus. I mean, he's the author and the perfecter. He's the one who was and is and who's, uh, who's coming back again. He knows Satan from in and out. Now the devil himself, the audacity. You know, the, the nerve of this guy. How arrogant and how prideful can this guy be? Now he is quoting back scripture. He says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up. At least you dash your foot against him. Satan wants Jesus to do something spectacular. To prove that God really loves him. Satan uses scripture. <laughs> He uses scripture, brothers and sisters, but you know what he does? He misquotes it. <laughs> he takes it completely out of context. He doesn't even share the whole scripture. In other words, he's trying to deceive them. Isn't that something? How he takes it completely out of context. He's quoting from Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. And Satan leaves out these words, to keep you in all your ways. I mean, he's quoting Scripture, but yet he's misquoting it. He's not sharing the whole truth. Satan uses people today who will twist the scriptures 
Take them out of context. Add and take away. Say what they think people want to hear. To make us think that you can name it or you can claim it. That you can just speak it into existence. And all of a sudden, it will appear. You know anyone like that? Don't say yes. But there are people out there who are like that. Speak it into existence. Force or manipulate God into doing exactly what we want. But you know what I like about Jesus? Is Jesus says this. It is written. Do you see where Jesus goes? He says, it is written. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Stop with all your shenanigans and all this foolishness. Stop trying to to tempt God and manipulating him into doing what you want him to do. Don't tempt the Lord thy God. But Satan, he doesn't quit. Are we still together this morning? (laughs) Because he's speaking to you and to me. Satan, he, he doesn't quit. Although he tries to manipulate God, he comes for the third time. He took him up on the mountain, exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give to you if you will just bow down and worship me. You know, granted, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, we know what happened. The kingdoms were turned over to Satan. The kingdom, this is Satan's domain. But Christ came to destroy the work of the devil. And Christ came to establish his kingdom. What Satan is trying to do is he's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut. (laughs) That's what he's trying to do. He's He's trying to get Jesus not to go to the cross. He's trying to get Jesus not to destroy him. So what Satan is doing is he's trying to bargain. <laughs> he's trying to bargain with Jesus so that if Jesus would just bow down and worship Satan, then he wouldn't have to go to the cross. He wouldn't have to die because he will give him all the kingdoms of the world if you would just bow down and worship me. It's fascinating. Because here's the temptation of the world, the flesh, and from the devil that you and I are constantly bombarded with. But what I like about this is that three times Christ himself was tempted. Three times Christ himself was tempted in ways that you and I are tempted. But three times Christ himself, he quoted nothing but the word of God. Matter of fact, he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.16. He quoted... Uh, He quoted Deuteronomy 6.13. I bet the devil hates the book of Deuteronomy because Christ himself was quoting nothing but the book of Deuteronomy to him. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall worship him and him only. Temptation, brothers and sisters. Temptation will come. Each and every one of us in this room, we are not exempt from temptation. The devil will always try to bring temptations and trials our way. So what must we do in order to overcome the temptation? How do we handle this temptation? Well, I'll tell you, if we look at what Christ did, he overcame the temptation by knowing the word of God. There's no other power, there's no other source, there's no other victory that you and I can have from overcoming the enemy unless you and I know nothing but the word of God. 
there are so many people who are deceived today because they don't know the word of God. You know, people come and they give them a, a, a pretext. You know, they don't quote the whole scripture in context. And just because they say it came from the word of God, we believe it and people are deceived. That's foolishness. In order for you and me to understand how to overcome the enemy, guess what? You need, we need, we must know the word of God. But also we must be people of prayer. Huh? We got to pray. How are we going to overcome the enemy? If we don't take our struggles and our hardships to prayer. You, you know what? If you know the word of God, then you understand that you should be praying. <laughs> because the Bible tells us that we should pray. We should pray and we should seek God. In our times of hardships and struggles, guess what? I don't know about you guys, but I oftentimes find my, my, myself on my knees in prayer. Prayer. Is how we prepare ourselves. But not only that, guess what? God is faithful. He's faithful because he doesn't leave us as orphans. If you are a child of God, if you belong to him, guess what? God has given you the most precious gift that you and I could ever have. He's given us a deposit guaranteeing that when we leave this place, one day we're going to be with him in glory. He has given us his Holy Spirit who leads and guides and teaches us and points us to who? To Jesus. So we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? After we've done all we can do, then the Bible says in Ephesians, then we stand. We stand. We stand on what? On the promises of nothing else but the word of God. Am I preaching to anyone this morning? Or am I preaching to myself? We stand on the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is like a hammer. The word of God is like a sword. The word of God is like fire. The word of God brings deliverance. The word of God brings healing. And the word of the living God will set us free. Jesus says it is written. Amen? Amen. But the Bible says this. That it says that after Jesus himself had dealt with the enemy. Matter of fact, what Jesus said to the enemy, he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. But the Bible says this, that even though Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, Luke says it this way. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, in other words, he couldn't find a way to get Jesus to sin. says that, that after he had ended every Temptation in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. He departed from him. Now, I wouldn't do you justice if I just left it there. The Bible says that he departed from him. Amen? Oh, no. Until an opportune time. (laughs) He didn't just depart, but he departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, just because Jesus had gone through three temptations, it wasn't over. Satan wasn't, he wasn't through with him yet. There was going to come a time when Satan would tempt Jesus in the garden. There was going to come a time when Satan would tempt Jesus again. Just because we go through one temptation in our life, or two or three, it doesn't mean that the temptation is over. But what I like about this portion of scripture is the Bible says this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, it tells us to be sober. You and I are to be sober 
And I'm not talking about, you know, not going out and drinking too much. I'm not talking about that. But it says to be sober. To be sober. What does that mean? To be sober. To be serious. To be serious about the things of God. To be sober. And to be vigilant. I'm not saying being paranoid, but I'm, but I'm saying to be, to be vigilant, to be serious, knowing that you are in a battle, that, that you're in a battle, and that battle is for your soul. That battle is for where you're going to spend eternity. You are in a battle, so be serious about the things of God, and to be vigilant. You know, don't just accept anything that comes your way, but be vigilant. Be alert. Because we have an adversary. He's not your friend. He's not your buddy. The devil is not your drinking partner or your, your, your buddy that you go out with on the weekend. He's not your friend. He's your adversary. And he roars. <laughs> you guys ever heard a lion roar before? I, I know you have, and I know James, you probably have, and Daniel. It's such a loud thing, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> louder than that. But I mean, <laughs> but I mean, they, they, they roar, don't they? I mean, we've had the opportunity of spending 12 years living in Southern Africa, and we've gone to all the game parks. You know, I know James Jones spent some time there, and Dennis, you were there, and I don't know who else went. Uh, Dave, that's right, you went. Remember those lions? Yep. <laughs> They roar. But you know why they roar? Any of you guys know why they roar? What does a roar do? It startles you, doesn't it? It causes you to freeze up. That's what Satan does. He roars and he causes you to freeze. Why? Because the moment you freeze up, the moment that you don't make progress, then he devours you. That's what Satan does. He roars. He's our adversary. He's seeking to devour us. That's why we must be serious and we must be vigilant because we have an adversary who's coming to devour us. But the Bible says that while Christ sent the enemy away, he's looking for an opportune time. He's weary, I'm sure, in the battle. He's been in the wilderness for over, what, 40 days? The Bible says that God sends angels. Matter of fact, It says, and behold, angels came and they did what? They ministered to him. The word minister is the same word that we use for deacon. That they came and they served him. They spoke to him. They probably worshipped him. They, They probably told him the same things that God the Father had said. That God is well pleased with you. God is well pleased with you. God is pleased for your obedience. That you didn't give in under the trials and the temptations that God himself, that he's pleased with you. Aren't those beautiful words to be ministered to? After you, you've gone through such a hard time, when you felt like you just, you didn't have the strength to carry on. You're weak and you're hungry, but somehow, some way, God brings you through. And now God's angels are there to minister to you and to say, well done. God is pleased with you. God sent these angels. They came to worship him. And Jesus isn't unfamiliar with angels. 
Angels have always been a part of his life. We know that angels spent a lot of time with him. Angels were there at his birth. Matter of fact, they predicted it. They announced it. Angels were there and they protected him along the way. Angels were there when they told him to leave, their family to leave and to go into Egypt. Angels were always ministering to Christ. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said that he can call down 12 legions of angels if he wants to. But yet he didn't. Angels were there when Christ went into the tomb. And guess what? They sat on the stones. Angels were there when Christ rose from the grave. And guess what? When Christ comes again, he's coming with what? He's coming with angels. He's coming with angels. But what I love about this is that Christ Jesus, matter of fact, the Bible says this, that God has promised that he would use angels in your life and in my life. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, he says, Are not the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That God will send his angels. I don't know how or who or what or when, but I know that God himself will send his angels for you and me, for those who will inherit salvation. Now, of course, we don't worship angels. <laughs> we don't worship angels. We don't worship angels at all. But we worship the king. Amen. We worship Jesus. Jesus is the king of the angels. He's the king of all kings, and he's the Lord of all lords. It's him who we worship. It's him who we adore. It's him who has achieved the victory. It's him who gives us life and who gives us life more abundantly. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look at these two verses of Scripture, they are packed with so many nuggets. Many in whom I couldn't even cover this morning. But yet, Lord, I pray that what was shared this morning will go deep into our hearts. That we would realize just as Christ was tempted in the wilderness, he was without sin. But his temptation was to identify with those of us sitting in this room. That each and every one of us, all of us, there's no one in here who hasn't gone through a temptation. Matter of fact, you might be in a temptation today. You might be in a trial. You might be struggling in some area. The enemy is bringing against you. Maybe it's a temptation to run away from Christ or maybe it's a temptation to give up on this or to give up on that. I don't know what it is, but I do know this, that just as Christ overcame temptation, the Bible says that God won't put more on us that we cannot handle. And he will always give us a way of escape. And you know what that way of escape is? It's Jesus. <laughs> it's bring it to Jesus. That's the way of escape. 
is to bring all your troubles and all your worries and all your problems and all your tribulations, is to bring it to him and let him carry it. And Lord, I thank you that you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit who tabernacles and dwells with us. But we know there are angels too, Lord. And I know it seems weird and mystical and all those things, but there are angels who are sent to minister to us. I don't know where you guys are this morning. You walk with the Lord. I, I don't know. I don't even know if this message made sense to you. But I do know this, that Christ was tempted and he overcame the enemy by the word of the Lord. If you would say this morning, yeah, I'm going through something. I'm going through a trial. I'm, I'm tempted. I'm being tested. I've leaned not on the word of God, but I've leaned on my own intellect, my own understanding, my own ability, and I haven't submitted to Christ and his word. And I would, you would say this morning that I'm bringing it to you, Lord. I'm bringing my trials and my temptations, my tribute, all everything that I'm, I'm bringing to you. And I'm trusting that your word will bring deliverance this morning. Any of you this morning going through a trial, temptation, you would say yes, just raise your hand, put it down. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us. We've read your word. And may we apply your word into our lives. That this morning, when we leave this place, we can leave victorious, knowing that Christ has delivered us from our temptations. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.